Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us, guys, at thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on episode 204. We'll be talking to an organ donation and transplantation expert turned comedian and author. Can't wait to hear her story. We all do it, right? Natural yep. progression. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we're also going to be talking about how values help you stay in your lane and guide you in your life. So they're kind of like your guardrails. I like it. All that and more right here. Stay with us. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are so excited to introduce you to our newest friend, Amy S. Peel. Hey, ma'am. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you. Amy is a donation expert, 35 plus years of experience. She loves comedy. She's an author. She's a speaker. She writes murder mysteries. I mean, I guess we should have started with what she doesn't do because she does so (laughs) much. Uh, But we've loved learning about you and we just love who you are, your value system and and what it is that you're trying to do with your life, your legacy. So where do you want to start, Amy? Well, I think I'd like to start that um, what I've learned through 35 years of experience in transplant is that when you follow your passion, that it takes you everywhere you need to go. And with me as a transplant nurse, I started in 1977, did not expect it to like fall in love. It was just kidney transplants back then. And we didn't have a lot of anti-rejection medication that we have today. Um, we had, you know, just imuran and prednisone. But I just fell in love with the science. I fell in love with the team because transplant, as you all know, is a team sport. It's not anything that anyone could do alone. We all need kind of a beautifully uh, a web of, you know, committed, passionate, sensitive, bright uh, people who know what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, we are the shepherds for these organs that donor families have uh, donated and I feel that um, that talking to donor families when, when I did was probably the most sacred time I've ever been in someone's space as a professional. And that, that we all know that so many people in a most difficult time in their life choose to donate organs. And that, to me, is just a gift and mind-boggling. And so, um, anyway, my passion has taken me to so many places, and we can talk about that a little on the podcast, but um, I, uh, it wasn't like I showed up with a plan. Mm-hmm. I want to be a transplant coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, there wasn't, we didn't really have too many of us, so um, I, I truly believe that if you really listen to your heart and you're committed, your passion will take you everywhere you need to go. Well, Amy, I'd actually like to start there uh, with... You know, so so I've been at at Lopa. I'm one of the uh, elder statesmen. You know, being here tw- tw- twenty years, and and uh, of course I've got my back in the day stories, uh, walking uphill with no shoes. You know, both ways in the snow. Yes, in the snow. So uh, I'm curious. You know, you mentioned 1977, mm-hmm. and there was one anti-rejection, real anti-rejection medicine, and a steroid. 
So one of the things I had seen read about you as well was that you were one of the founders and uh, former president of NATCO, what we refer to as NATCO, North American Transplant Coordinator Organization. Uh, it's still thriving today, and it's uh, because of people like you who've laid the, the foundation and uh, the groundwork uh, in the beginning. So can you tell us a little bit about what you what got you interested and then, and then how you've seen things change over the years? Good question, Joey. Um, I... What I was curious about and what got me interested is that, well, I worked on an experimental surgical floor at University of Chicago, I-4 Billings Hospital, and we had all kinds of patients, total pancreatectomies and a variety of surgical procedures, and then one of the patients or the patient's groups was kidney transplant. So I didn't know anything about it. So I was just mesmerized, first of all, and that, I, you know, in an academia medical center, as you're aware, people make, you know, the team makes rounds and stuff. And I love the questioning and the information. And um, it was, uh, because there's so many facets in transplant, not just the surgery, but you've got the donation component, you've got the um, rejection issues, the immunosuppression, um, the, all the research that's going on the collaboration, but back in the day in 19, around late 1970s, early 80s, there was just a handful of us around the country. There was, there was no UNOS. Um, uh, the coordinators organization, some of the folks in the NACO, although small, were the ones that created the first way for us to, to actually share organs. And the outcomes were not all that good. Starzl was in Pittsburgh and the liver transplant wasn't, uh, wasn't where it is today. So when I lived in Chicago, I would pick, we did, there was this thing called 24 hour alert and the coordinators put together a phone, figured out a phone thing. Cause this was way before like computers that we know today that so you'd call in and you would punch in the weight and size of your donor into the phone. You know, I have a blood, you know, donor, 170 pounds, blood type A, and it would tell you, you know, who might, you know, who to call. Well, most of the time it was Pittsburgh at the time and they would come in and recover the liver. So that was where we started trying to create some networking, and also we we set up a training program. But there was there was no there there. So what was cool about it is when we organized the meetings, such as they were, you got your colleagues who you'd never met from around the country, which weren't a lot, doing it at their different places. And so we began to create play like a training program and the NATCO and for procurement and clinical. So all of that at the beginning was like we were like, you know, explorers in our world. And I think being part of that creation and then obviously what's where we are today with certification and all that was very cool. And learning what to do, you know, in the OR and with the fellows, you know, teaching fellows to go out on recovery. It was just a, a whole new world. And how cool that for some reason I got lucky to just hop into it. And then I never looked back, even though, you know, as you all know, being on call and all the things that go along, all the things that culminate in organ donation and transplant, it's no small lift. Um, so I think just that is what we got, got me started. And then meeting my colleagues from around the country and even over in Europe, you know, in Europe, the doctors are transplant coordinators because they have more doctors there. So we got to meet them. And they came to our training courses, and some of us actually went over there and presented uh, one time in Holland um, that where we, you know, we went to their conference and they wanted to understand, like, what's a coordinator in the United States? 
And so it was pretty funny because their vision of us as we were sitting in the ICU smoking cigarettes and, you know, with our feet up on the desk. And I was like, no. Much different picture. (laughs) Playing cards. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. As you all know, that's obviously not on our docket on any given day. But, um, yeah, so I think my curiosity, I think my, I'm a lifelong learner, so I love, love, love learning. I also like the science. I love like going to the scientific meetings and hearing abstracts. So it was just like I walked into this huge, like, you know, supermarket of so many cool things. Um, and of course, then at the end of the day, uh, my world is I got to call patients in for a transplant. And it's nothing better than calling and saying, hi, Sophie, it's Amy. We have a kidney for you, you know, or a liver for you. And Boy, it doesn't get much better than that when you think about job satisfaction. Man, I, I love taking that journey uh, with you. I was there with you in the room, so we appreciate that that <laughs> description, and we love that all these years later you're still advocating for organ tissue and eye donation. But I think, <laughs> outside looking in, uh, you stand out because of how and what you do. So you went um, from this life to you know murder mysteries. <laughs> Not not the normal path most you know most people take yeah, you know no, no doubt <laughs> no it's not it's truly not but I began writing a long time ago um, I I um, did you know I think it's important to do something creative for yourself I think that I've done some grand rounds at the various academic centers I did uh, UT um, University of Texas San Antonio and my talk now has evolved into what's your next chapter. Because as you all know, and I know, when we're in transplant, you know, sometimes it's a park your life at the door job and it doesn't allow you some time to like think, oh, maybe I want to try painting or maybe I want to go sing in a choir or maybe I want to, you know, give myself a beautiful reading challenge. So I felt really strongly, even back in Chicago, um, in San Francisco, outside of San Francisco now, that's one reason why I decided to go to Second City to take improv for a year because my day job, your day jobs, as you know, some of you, um, it's life and death. It's kind of tight. It's, it's exhausting. So I thought, well, I needed to take care of my myself. And so I did sign up for one year and graduated it on stage at Second City. And it's a tool that I've actually used in so many ways. Now, truth be told, I did make fun of my transplant surgeons and they loved it. I did it in front <laughs> of them. So I could really... I could really do a good John Roberts for sure in Nancy <laughs> Escher. And, but I think that at the end of the day, too, we all like to play. I think we need play. And I think because our worlds are so serious as they should be to find an outlet for yourself and to create a place. So I did improv. And then I also started, I took a writing class at a community college just for fun. And, um, so, you know, it wasn't like I was going to get a grade because it was a community, you know, pro- program. But then I started writing little things and just thought, well, even though I'm not a grammarian, I am learned that I'm a storyteller. So I always encourage people, especially in the transplant world, to see if there's a place for them where they can find a little levity and lightness for themselves to feed their soul. Because a lot of times we're feeding everyone else's soul and we like that and it's important, but... I think you have to take your oxygen first. And I remember the chair of the Department of Surgery at UT was saying that what he does is he plays his guitar a lot, which is, I think, kind of cool that that the leadership in transplant, whoever they are, 
is able to share with the teams they work with. What is their like outlet? Where do they find their joy in addition to their job? So I think it sends a good message to all of us to maybe make sure we allow a little bit of time to find that little spark that kind of makes us curious whether you like to make necklaces or sew or crochet or anything like that. I think it's just, it's important. So those are things that I've learned over time because I was single when I got into transplant. I was on call 24 um, seven and there was only one other person sharing call at the time. Um, but I didn't think much of it because I just figured that was just the way it was. So I, I always think because we want people, you know, like Joey, you said you're what, 20 years now. One of the reasons some of the people stay in it long enough, and I'd be interested to hear from you all, how do you take care of yourself in a way that nurtures yourself, you or your family or loved ones, so that you can continue to do this important work? I think it's really an important question. Well, mine is an easy answer. Like Kevin Bacon in Footloose, <laughs> I like to dance. <laughs> And he's, oh, so, good he's, yeah. he's yeah. so good at it. He's so great. Terribly, but uh, it's entertaining for my two-year-old and uh, anybody else. <laughs> but yeah, Amy, I love to dance, too. <laughs> Amy, you make, um, I guess, self-care sound so fun and exciting. So just listening to you share, like, your passion, your creativity, your humor, your storytelling – I'm like, she's so cool. I, I know. That we're think, I'm thinking the same thing. So your story, like what's amazing, and I'm thinking for all our listeners, because we have so many families who, like you said, they don't know their next chapter. They're either in need of a gift or they're they're the ones saying yes to giving that gift and, um, and mm-hmm. not knowing what comes next. So what an inspiration mm-hmm. that you have just taken your life path and just continued to go along that journey to where it leads you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think writing the murder mysteries, what people say is that, uh, you know, we know our world, but when people read about it, they're like, I feel like I got a peek behind the curtain, which they have. They, I, I clinically want to make sure everything is accurate and, you know, sound. the fiction part is I made up the characters and I had, you know, two best friends, nursing friends, Sarah and Jackie, and, you know, fashioned them after, you know, people I think that would be fun if it became a movie or a series, um, just in my mind, because I'm a visual learner. Um, and I think just creating something from the same content that was part and parcel to my everyday life, but giving it kind of a ride in the fiction world. And I think that was, you know, I'm not sure when I decided to do it, but I think it was really important to do. And it seems like the, the world, I've gotten lots of awards for the book. Um, and I, it's interesting when I go, now I go to mystery conferences instead of transplant conferences. <laughs> um, and it's pretty, it's pretty fun. So even if you ever just see a workshop in your, your local area, like at a bookstore or whatever, I knew I was in the right spot when I went to Book Passage, which is our independent bookstore and my first mystery conference. And I was nervous. I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm an imposter. I don't even know how to write a good sentence some days. <laughs> Um, and this like 80 year old woman's going, now, what bullet should I use if I'm going <laughs> to use a Glock? <laughs> I am in the right spot. <laughs> oh, man. Well, after listening to you, uh, I kind of feel like I need to do more things. That's number one. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on that. And uh, it, it's great for me to hear that you two still get nervous at things because 
you've done all these incredible things and, and we're just sitting here in awe. And I do want to delve a little bit into Cut, Match, Hold, best-selling books okay. by Amy S. Peel. So check that out, Amy S. Peel, P-E-E-L-E uh, dot com. Uh, but medical mysteries with a mission, a side of humor, you kind of tie everything in here until this talent that you've uh, reinvigorated. Well, I thank you. I um, The first book was cut, and as I was retiring, I was working full-time, but I had started to outline it. I had a book coach. I, I think accountability is great, so I need accountability. But whether I pay a book coach or I have a group, I've been in a writing group now 24 years, but someplace where you'll just say, you know, I'm going to write for 20 minutes. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm, I'm going to write. So there's a we can talk about how to, you know, get your seat. Uh, your, you know, self in a chair and write. But people would come up to me and say, oh, how are you? Da, 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 da. I'm writing a murder mystery. And then they would really lean in and go, can you buy your way to the top of a liver transplant list? Like a lot of people that I knew, not new in my profession, because there is some belief out there in the world that you could. So I'm thinking, I'm looking at them going, well, no, but interesting that people outside were asking, I thought, well, then I'm going to go with that question. So cut at the top of cut, it's like, can you buy your way to the top of a liver transplant list is the theme. And then I go into making up a story around that, uh, again, with some clinical accuracy. So when people, when the book came out, people would ask me, I go, you're just going to have to read the book because, um, or now they're all three out in audio too. People prefer audio, but, um, anyway, so that was cut. And I got my characters going, and it was a real steep, steep learning curve because I'd written medically, you know, chapters for, you know, medical books and articles in our world. You know, they're more of a, you know, boilerplate, black and white, you know, type of writing as we do. Um, but I never wrote, like, full-on fiction. So cuts uh, uh, for about liver transplant. Match is about paired exchange, kidney transplants. Uh, about a little boy who uh, needs a kidney transplant, wants to have a preemptive kidney transplant, which if your listeners uh, don't know is that sometimes you can, and people do get a kidney transplant before they go on dialysis, if they can get a living donor and be in a, and sometimes that's being in a paired exchange program. Not everybody has that luxury and doesn't have a potential donor. So they then go on dialysis and I do a big shout out to the whole community in the ESRD community and stage renal disease on a match for thanking all these people who dialyze patients three you know times a week, every week. Thank God for dialysis. And then um, my third book's hold just came out in October. And my dream, all of our dreams, I would say in transplant is what if, you always start like with a mm-hmm. what if, uh, we only had to give patients one pill before their transplant. And then they um, would never have to take any anti-rejection drugs ever again. And, you know, that's a dream, I know, but it's the the clinical term tolerance. It's an immunogenetic term that the body would tolerate the organ and therefore not need the drug. So those are kind of the themes. And then the what if, you know, what if we had a pill, then who who wouldn't like that? So I went after big pharma and uh, venture capital, capitalists and hold. And I have to say the journey of these books have gotten me in touch with so many interesting people and so many the, the things I would never have expected to happen um, in this journey. Uh, and it wasn't even, it's like transplant. 
things I got to do because I was a coordinator, then became president of NAFCO. I got to testify in Congress before a uh, subcommittee of investigation and oversights, which then all that work back in 84 yielded what we have today, the OPTN, the Organ Procurement Transplant Network, all of those things because I stayed on my journey and I was passionate. Um, and then, of course, all my work ended up bringing me out here to San Francisco, uh, still a single gal. And then I met my husband. Who knew? So that's <laughs> knew? the whole whole thing. <laughs> Love this journey. <laughs> but, what about it, huh? Yeah. And you know what? When people say, so so did you plan it? And I go, not one part. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That's what makes it so great to all of us. Okay, so a couple of questions, Amy. All right, first of all, like with the – Hollywood. So that's something we've always like as organ donation that we have to be on top of because there's so many movies and shows that go out that really they don't help people understand the truth behind organ donation and demystify some of the the myths that we have to work with. So how did you like incorporate that into your books or take that perspective of keeping that so sacred? Well, I, and I, the great question, um, I was really committed to making sure that anything I wrote clinically um, was accurate. So even though I was in the industry, when I started to write cut, I, it was interesting because I'd be at work and we'd be in selection where we, you know, would decide who was going to get on the list or I'd be on the floor making some rounds. Um, I started taking pictures and not in selection, but just like, how would I, how would we explain our world to somebody who'd never been in our world. And so I started to just accurately, like, you know, we have like in our transplant program at UCSF, we had a board where we had, you know, um, thank yous from the donor, um, the recipients to the staff, to the donor families, um, you know, just encouraged. And of course, families always wanted to write a letter when it was appropriate, as you know, in time to the donor's families to thank them. So I, I sprinkled in the reality and the facts of the world of transplantation, organ and tissue donation. And then I also talked to my colleagues and I asked people that I respected in the field, like, you know, Nancy Asher and John Roberts and others. But in match, I talked to Garrett Hill, who started the Parrot Exchange Program back in the day. The people who did just to say, would you take a look to make sure you, you feel like this got, you know, the accuracy. So I made sure that it, it had foot, it had its you know, the feet of the book were on the ground and the clinical stuff was absolutely accurate so that people who read, like, were interested in the mystery, which is what is kind of the vehicle for this information, they did get the facts right. And I I thank people in each book who helped me make sure that that information was, in fact, uh, accurate. So that is important to me. And I know because, as you know, there's some things that they on TV or things they do that like people are like, oh, really? You just have to do that Mm -hmm. and you can get a transplant? And we know that then our work, your work has been like, no, no, that's not quite accurate. This is it. There's an interesting, if you haven't seen it on Netflix called The Surgeon's Cut and my colleague Nancy Asher is featured in the transplant program on liver transplant. So it's a documentary, but it's really well done because it follows her from talking to a living donor family to the actual surgery to the post transplant with the team, and it's clear that you know they got a really 150 percent accurate picture of a life in the day of a transplant program, and specifically the surgeon and her team. So, well, I think there's good stuff out there, 
but we always have to be on the ready because I feel very protective, right. as you probably do, yes. of the donor families. Yeah, we just, you so. know, on behalf of the donor families, on behalf of those waiting and the world of donation, thank you. Um, and then to oh. flip the conversation, like, okay, do you write about your friends? And do they read the books? Do they know what it's they about? Say yeah. me? We want to know. <laughs> oh, you want the real scoop, yes. don't you? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. So I graduated nursing school. I went to a two-year diploma program in Chicago, and I still see my girlfriends every year, my nursing school friends. So when people ask, me like, is this based off of you or that? I say, here's what I get. Here's the cool thing about writing fiction. fiction. You get to make up your characters. Like, I get to make them up. So I take a little scoop of my little friend here, Patty, and then maybe some of Kathy, and then a little maybe a Mary Ruth, and all my colleagues and my nursing pals, and and I get to make a composite character of them. And, like, use little things that I loved and silliness about them, and then if you know, kind of make, draw these characters out. So absolutely, um, <laughs> things I see, um, people I meet. Um, so, and I also, like I said, visual. So then I'd make the storyboard and as if I was, these were going to be casted in a movie. So I look through all the magazines, you know, like people and whatever. And I say, well, who would be Dr. Bauer? Who would be Jackie Larson? And of course, Jackie Larson in my mind, cause she's one of the main characters would be Melissa McCarthy. She's ridiculous. Like she's it. funny. <laughs> yeah. She's irreverent. Love her. My dream is someday that she'll just buy the rights to these books and I'll get to co-produce a series with her. Why not dream big? <laughs> and um and then, you know, just who would these who would who would I cast for these parts? And then I keep the storyboard up so when I am writing, because writing is a very much a solo event, I look up and think, hmm. What would you say about this? And then sometimes the characters do whatever they want to do. Um, and they, I'm like, oh, well, I wouldn't do that. But if that's what you want to do. So, you know, it's just on a little insane <laughs> in my writing room. But I, I am, I am okay. My husband, he'll hear me talking. <laughs> Not a lot, but enough. And, um, and then, you know, uh, it just seems people enjoy the books and what, what's fun. And also, interesting is people go, I loved your book. I read it in two nights. I go, great. It took me a year to write it. Could you slow down? You know, it's just kind of a, it's, it's a creative fictional vehicle, but you know, what's, what's happened lately with the new book coming out in our bookstore, they loved Hold so much. It became a staff favorite. So just think our world of transplant is on the red carpet at one of the best independent bookstores. When you walk in the door, it's right there as a staff pick. And that's authentic. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like dream come true. So cool, but yeah. then they liked Hold so much, they went back and read Cut. They read Match. And then they signed up to be a donor. <laughs> so, I mean, does it, does it get any better? No. Wow. That's wonderful. I mean, only if... A Louisiana podcast team makes your next book. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking here, Aim. I'm not sure, but think about it. Oh, you're giving you go, me some stuff here, huh? But you get us so excited, like you make it sound so easy, like, oh yeah, I just write a book and I just create these characters. And we're like, you make us think oh. we could do it. You can do it. You uh, just have to have the right team. I, after the third book, I figured out 
I, you know, I thought, well, I had a lot of self-doubt and a lot of gremlins. Like, you can't write a book. You didn't get your green in. English is me talking to me. English, you don't know yeah. how to do this. What are you, crazy? You're a nurse. Like all that chatter sometimes that you can get when you're, you're reaching for something yeah, else. right. And I finally realized I am, I'm not a grammarian, you know. I'm not going to win that spelling bee. And I'm probably not going to write the best sentence ever. But if I have a good editor and I have a support group that says, just go for it, just write it, throw it on the page. It's a piece of clay. You can just mold it. You can, it's like, you know, it's like putting sand in a sandbox that you're going to make a castle from. You can, you can do it. Nobody can tell you can't do it. And if you really want to do it, you do it. And if you have people around you, whatever your, you know, out creative outlet is and say, yeah, come on, just let's, let's go to this. So let's go see this. It's, it's actually really inspiring to know what I'm really not good at, which are a lot of things, by the way. You can't be looking at me for any cooking tips. And spells Same. On that one. Okay. That's, why I, <laughs> that's, that's where I like where you live because you can't, oh my God, the food. Um, but anyway, I think you can really do what you really want to do for real. And you just surround yourself with a good mindset and people who will support you when you're like, forget it. I'm throwing it in the garbage. What was I thinking? Um, because a lot, I think all creative types go down that alley when you hear interviews with people who are doing things. I mean, we all have self-doubt. Um, and even when you start and transplant, you know, what am I doing? This is so hard. Da, 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 da. So I think just opening the door to possibility, being afraid is okay. Walk into the fear. I mean, I've gotten a lot of coaching and I've gotten a lot of support. And I still can't believe I wrote three books, um, yeah. Murder Mysteries, because, you know, it's it's just like one foot in front of the other, right? And giving myself some kind of a, a deadline or a timeline. Um, I think, you know, that's, I think that's some of the keys that it, it, it is possible. Amy, speaking my language, things. I'm going to need the Peel pep talk uh, once a month, probably. Just lift me up. Tell <laughs> me I can do things. Um, and then if you want to connect with Amy, you want to read her books, learn more about her, um, get some of that Peel magic, Amy S. Peel, P-E-E-L-E dot com. Open door invitation here on The Gifted Life. Amy, let us know about your life journey. Share with us. Let us learn from you. And we certainly appreciate today's visit. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, thank you, Amy. And thank you for all you do and you continue to do for the patients on the wait list and all the donor families. On the Gifted Life podcast, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Nyla, I heard we'll be circling back to our values. Tell me about it. I like this. Okay, so I personally, from my experience, I feel like values are so important. Right. And a lot of times you'll say, hey, what are your values? And I think we kind of did that in here once. Mm -hmm. But if I say, Joe, what are your values? Give me your top five values. Like uh, altruism. Oh, I mean, that's a tough one off the top. I was going to say, no. putting us on the Altru- Altruism and random acts of kindness are two values that I uphold highest. Okay. Yeah. It is. It's hard when you just try to come up with right. it on the right. top of your head. And so it's crazy, but it really is what kind of keeps up these guardrails. Like you were talking about the traffic was really bad. There was an accident on the interstate yeah. getting here. But if you think those guardrails, 
I mean, they they may not keep a truck from going over on the other side, but they can help you stay in your lane. And that's what they're trying to do. So when we live by our values, they actually help us make our choices. They help us really be intentional about our day. And it's kind of our map. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'll give you an example. So let's say I value, well, I do, family, really important to me. And so if I say my children are important to me, and then I think, gosh, did I see him yesterday? Well, no, not really, because mm-hmm. they were so busy. I didn't check in to her in college. I mean, out of college and on their own. And so I'm thinking, I didn't check in with them. I didn't send them a text. I mean, there's simple ways mm-hmm. to do that. So am I living by my values? Mm-hmm. So really, it's kind of that checklist during the day that I can go back to. Um, it's what I'm going to put make a priority in my day. Mm-hmm. And so when I was thinking about what were you going to talk about, I sent a text a good morning text to all my kids right. individually so that they know that they are on my mind. That is a great idea. Like it just, just to to map out your values, put them out there. I, I'm actually I'm thinking about doing it in my, in the office. Yeah. Like so that I can have it in my office so I can see it every day because mm-hmm. I'm there every day, and then and then go back to it whenever you know it's two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon where I'm like, okay, what do I need to do next? I can yeah. I can circle back to that. And especially the beginning of the year as you're trying to get reset. I feel like that's when we all try to reset yeah. and rethink things. But um, life's so busy, so I feel like you kind of have to go back and refer to it. So I have a couple of friends um, who are battling some health issues. So in the morning, I, too, I got to pause. Like, it takes, what, less than five seconds to send a text, how are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think they appreciate it. So, you know, and then once they're past that, that crisis – you know, we talk about it like I appreciate you just checking in just to see if I needed soup or something like that. So it is important. It doesn't take a whole lot of your time, but to prioritize, I but think. See, and I can see where your values are in that. Mm-hmm. Like you really care about other people. And it's not that other values aren't important, but they guide you. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. looking at what you need in your life at this time. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, health, that came up. And I was thinking, wow, health is one of my priorities, one of my values. However, I can't tell you the last time I exercised. Mm-hmm. I have been so busy with things, and I thought, I haven't I haven't run, I haven't gone to the gym, I haven't, I haven't done anything. So, and the reason this is so important, it also keeps us congruent when we are not congruent. So like what we think, what we say we do, we who we say we are, but we're not living it out, then we're just off balance. And right. then that's a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. So when you can align yourself with what you say you are, who you are, then you're going to find more of a peace in your daily journey. I like it. All right. I took notes. Thank you. 2023. Here let's, we come. Let's challenge each other to keep to stay with our values. I like it. Stay Maybe in our lane. you have a topic you'd like us to cover in 2023 here on The Gifted Life. Email us info at thegiftedlife.org. It's question and answer time here on The Gifted Life. Yeah, and this question, Lori, is for you. <gasps> for me. You ready? Maybe. Do you? <laughs> So the question came in from one of our listeners. Do you have to renew your registration as a donor at any point or once you're a donor, always a donor? Oh, I like that. I like that we're thinking about that and we're talking about that. We're putting it in the forefront. So in Louisiana, once you say yes, you're not taking out, uh, you're not taken out of that uh, registry um, because it's 
your decision and you decide. Uh, but we do have these checkpoints in place. So if you go to renew your driver's license, you get married, um, you change your name or your address, um, they're going to ask you, do you want to be an organ donor? And so we hope that you re-up, you recommit to that. And that's at the forefront. So hopefully um, we're doing a good job in the community where you've heard stories in the news, on social media about that. And our goal is to just get you thinking about it, to talk to your family about it, and to have those conversations. That's kind of the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can, so in addition, you mentioned re-up, you know, when you get your, uh, li- when you renew your license to re-up and everything. I think that's very important too. Even though you don't come out of the registry unless you, unless you tell us you want to be out of the registry, it's important to have that heart on the license. That symbol is so important oftentimes to families because we see when when we're having conversations with the families, if they don't see the heart on the license, even if you're on the registry, there is that uncertainty in the family's mind, I believe. We've been told, you know, we've had to come across oh, that bridge sometimes. we have a donor family. She said it was a 10-second conversation. We were in line for the license. They said, what's a donor? Don't you want to help people if something were to happen to you? Yes, Mom, I do. And that's what the families um, take when they say yes and they help us honor this legacy um, of donation. And so I think it's so important. Yeah. And in, and in additionally, obviously, continue that conversation with your family. When you go and, and re-up, when you have that heart on the license again, when you renew, please have that. That, that's that's one of those sparks, right? We talk about having conversation at dinner time with the family. You know, that that hopefully sparks you to have that conversation with your family. Hey, look, look they asked me again about donation. I want to be a donor, and this is why. And here in Louisiana, most people, uh, that's where they register, at the Office of Motor Vehicles. They are our partners. We train them. Uh, they know about this information. So if you have any questions, they can help you. Um, but please, educate yourself. Make an educated decision. You can do that at lopa.org no matter where you are, or check in with the OPO, the Organ Procurement Organization, where you are. We want you to be educated, and we want you to learn about donation, and we want it to be a gift from you. We love y'all's questions out there. So please, please call in if you have any questions for us, and that number is 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Jerry Dakota Wynn. And we learn about Jerry from his family. He was a giver. He was an organ and tissue donor. He was only 21 when he passed away. He lived life to the fullest. The family also submitted a wonderful photo. You can view that photo and learn more on our heroes page at lopa.org. And now we pause and say thank you to Jerry for the gift of life. Another episode of The Gifted Life is in the books. That's going to do it for episode 204. Wow. Yeah, wow. That was a wow. It was such a, a huge thanks to Amy Peel for coming on. Of course, sharing all her stories from the first, her early days in transplant and then transitioning to murder mysteries. Right. What a fascinating the life she's lived. normal progression, lived. right? <laughs> and I love, I love how she lived out her passion. Yeah. I yep. mean, it, that, that has to be a value in her life because everything from how she cared for the, the patients and the, the job that she worked to writing books about it. Mm-hmm. And then just trying something new. There's always going to be that scary time, but push through. Trust yourself. 
Trust your talents. I love it. I love it. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org, the best place to find us. We ask that you tell your friends thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts. And if you do listen to Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. On social, the Gifted Life Podcast on Facebook, at Gifted Life Pod, that's for Twitter and Instagram. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one big team. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nyla Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 